BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today is the day you will lose fat. Come see Dr. T at NJ Diet. Easiest diet I've ever done. It's changed my life. Come see Dr. T. Using blood work and DNA testing. 1-855-5-NJ-DIET and NJDiet.com. Change your life in only 40 days with NJ Diet. G. Make some noise. <laughs> I first heard my next guest when an artist and producer posted an Instagram video of him going back and forth. Uh, that artist and producer is Kwame. The song was The Return. I shared this track, this video with everyone I knew. The response was the same. Hey, that dude is nice. Uh, his name is Bobby J from Rockaway, and I want to welcome him to the Library of Tomenico. Thanks for joining me, man. man. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this. This is this is dope, man. Cool. Appreciate it. Uh, no, thank you. Um, so first, I mean, I'm I'm from. I grew up in Washington Heights, so I'm you know I'm from New York, but not too familiar with the Rockaway New York kind of hip hop scene. Can you? Is there one? Or, or can lack you, thereof? Of lack thereof. I mean, can you describe kind of what it was like growing up? in Rockaway as like a wanting to be inspiring hip hop artist? Um, well, it's, it's kind of, I mean, I think when people think of, uh, hip hop music that's coming out of Rockaway, um, you know, they're thinking of, you know, back in the day, MC search, um, most recently stack bundles, chinks, drugs. Um, but as far as where I grew up, I mean, Rockaway is essentially two completely different worlds you know, stacked right on top of each other. You have one section that's pretty much all white, predominantly Irish. You know what I mean? Like we have our own St. Patrick's Day parade, which is actually coming up tomorrow. You know what I mean? So it's like completely homogenous, far rock as you know it. I mean, it's predominantly black, predominantly Latino. There wasn't a lot of crossover. Um, So my hip hop experience growing up was very private, like, you know, people that I knew around me listened to rap music, but there wasn't a lot of people like me that were completely obsessed with it or wanted to make it a career, whether they were rapping, producing, DJing, whatever. So a lot of my time was spent, you know, in my basement or in my bedroom, like on the internet, just diving in as deep as possible, trying to discover as much music as possible and like writing rhymes. You know what I mean? It was almost to the point where it was almost like having a, a second life because mm-hmm. it was it was something I was sort of afraid to share with people because people just wouldn't get it at that time. I think, you know, around that 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 time, people would think, you know, if you're trying to rap, you're this Malibu's most wanted type caricature. You yeah. know what I mean? And 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 it, it was really until 
it wasn't really until I got into high school that I started meeting, you know, like-minded people, other kids that were rapping, other kids that were really trying to pursue music. So as far as like my hometown scene, and it's still a lot like this to this day, it was a very solitary existence. Mm. You know, it's only in like the past year, maybe two years that I've started to bond with other people from the neighborhood that are like trying to accomplish the same thing. But, you know, it, 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 Rockaway in general is like the redheaded stepchild of New York City. You know, it, it's it's Queens, but it's not really Queens. It's this insulated, isolated area. And it's it's very hard to articulate to people what it's like if you've never really been there. Right. Um, so it's... It's part of the reason, you know, I talk about it so much, why I try and incorporate it in my videos, why it's part of my name, you know, because it's really the backdrop to everything I do. I want to showcase and put a light on a, a part of New York City that you never really see, especially in hip hop. Mm. Do you, um, so, so you're home, you're listening to music, what, or hip hop, what, what what was the first thing that kind of drew you to it? Like, why? When did you know, like, hey, I want to, this is what I want to do? Um, well, I mean, I just liked, I liked music in general. Um, my my house had a lot of music playing in it. Um, you know, my mom, uh, she's from Brooklyn. She liked everything that was classic rock. So, you know, Steely Dan, Doobie Brothers, The Eagles, Bruce Springsteen. You know, she played all those guys. My dad liked all that stuff too, but he was from Detroit and he brought a little bit of, you know, the soul funk, James mm -hmm. Brown, and then also, you know, a little bit, you know, obviously Motown and then a little more eclectic stuff like Talking Heads, Devo, you know, things that I, that, that my mom wasn't listening to. And then my brother, who is five years older than me, he was constantly watching MTV. So I have very vivid memories of growing up MTV always being on 24 seven, you know, seeing all the grunge movement happen, seeing Yo MTV raps and just kind of like absorbing all that, you know? So my first introduction to rap music was what was accessible. So, you know, I remember, um, you know, naughty by nature very right. vividly. I remember, um, you know, early bad boy. I remember, um, Dr. Dre and Snoop, you know, the big hip hop records of the time, and then as my brother got into high school, hip hop in the mid nineties to late nineties just exploded right. on a mainstream level. So that's when he started bringing home stuff like, you know, reasonable doubt and Illmatic. And I think ready to die was probably, you know, ground zero for me. I think that was the first hip hop album that I just completely fell in love with and just played over and over nice. and over again. Um, and then, from there, I, it just became this obsession where, you know, as I got older and the internet made things more accessible, um, I started to not only like listen and enjoy the music, but really pay attention to like, you know, the, the technique, rhyme structure. I think, you know, once I heard guys like, you know, Big Pun and Eminem and Nas and like the way they structured their rhymes and the way they put everything together, that was like a light bulb going off in my head because it was so clear that they were a step above everybody else. And I just wanted to understand why. And that's kind of like that opened up the rabbit hole. And, and, and I think once I got obsessed with that kind of rap music, 
I just said to myself, well, you know, I, I wanted to challenge myself and say, can, you know, can I do something like that? And I think that was the seed that, you know, later grew into this, you know. So where did the, so I called Kwame to kind of get inside information about you, yeah. so to say. Um, and he remembers kind of first being introduced to you with a, a video of uh, you battling and the 13-year-old kid at uh, Left Rock City. Yeah. Where did, where did the... Where you? Where did the battle aspect come from? I mean, you, you know, you're, you're you're describing you know describing amazing albums, but where did that battle come from? Um, well, that's funny that I haven't that video that you're talking about is like gone and lost forever. I know exactly which video you're talking about. Um, you know, like I said, high school for me was my first real like forum to showcase any rap ability. You know what I mean? It's it's it was very early validation for me, you know, so early mornings, like in the lunchroom, all the kids that were, were rapping in my high school, you know, would get around the lunch table and we would all go back and forth and battle. Um, and through that process, I met um, this kid, Anthony, who's super dope rapper to this day. He's one of my good friends. He goes by the name Billy Bang. And he... We, we, besides us just bonding in terms of, you know, him being a rapper, me being a rapper, him being dope and trying to pursue the same things I was doing, he was doing it on a level that I wasn't doing it on at that point. You know, he was already working with Kwame. He was going into big studios. You know, this is before people had any like real access to like home studio setups, right. you know, um, Pro Tools didn't come into my home until years later. So, you know, it was still that time where, I had to know somebody that had professional recording equipment if I really wanted to make music. You know, the, the bummy, you know, Radio Shack mics that I was buying and plugging into my tape player, you know, weren't cutting it. So when me and him got real cool, um, he used to bring me to the studio to meet with Kwame. That's how Kwame came into the picture. And he used to also bring me to his neighborhood, which was Left Rack City in Queens. Um, and, you know, he would bring me around as his friend, like, Yo, this is my boy. He's dope. I would battle people. You know what I mean? And it was just, it was, a, I mean, I must have been 13 or 14 years old at the time. So it was really my first experience. Like, you know, it's one thing to write rhymes right. in your bedroom and think you're dope by yourself. But if you're not testing your ability against other people, then, then what are you doing? So those early battles and, 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 you know, being able to rap in front of people, it was real important because, it gave me, it gave me validation and it was positive reinforcement. You know, I would, I would, I would, I would be real like shy and, and embarrassed to rap at some time, at some points. And, you know, the fact that I was going in front of, you know, judgmental audiences that were unbiased and I was getting positive reactions, mm -hmm. like had that not happened, I probably wouldn't have stayed rapping. You know what I'm saying? So that was, um, that was a very formative part of, of like my early rap career. So, uh, you talked about meeting Kwame, um, and it's you know it's, it's interesting. Obviously, a lot of our perception of a culture, of music, or the culture of music is what we see on TV. Uh, unless we're once we're and when we're in it, we can understand this something. It's something usually a lot different than what mm -hmm. you see on TV. Um, what was your kind of understanding or perception of uh, not just rap music but hip hop culture? prior to meeting Kwame and then did that change at all as you you know you've gotten this professional relationship um it's kind of funny because I texted him 
last night about something that I think relates to this. I think, um, you know, I was real young when we first met and, you know, I lived, again, I lived in a very insulated place and, you know, a lot of my hip hop experience was secondhand or stuff that, you know, I learned from listening to albums or what was on television. Um, and I thought, you know, just the fact that I listened to rap music and wanted to rap, that made me hip hop. And I remember having a distinct conversation with Kwame and he said something in passing to me. I think we were talking about clothes or something like that. And at the time I was the antithesis of fresh, you know what I mean? I didn't understand anything about hip hop other than the music and writing. He said something like, you know, if, if, if you ain't fresh, you ain't hip hop. And it's funny because it's like one of those stupid memories that just you remember and you don't understand why it's like, one of these mundane moments that just kind of sticks in my head. And I remember after he said that it kind of had a, a big impact on me because prior to that, again, I didn't, I didn't understand that hip hop was this all encompassing thing. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's not only the music, it's the way you act, it's the way you talk, it's the way you dress. It's, it kind of weaves its way into every part of your life. And, you know, anybody who knows Kwame and see, see how he moves, like hip hop is, is, is embedded into that guy. Like he mm. eats, sleeps, breathes, shits, hip hop music. You know, it's, 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 it's just part of who he is. So that was like an eye opening thing for me. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I was just a hungry wannabe battle rapper. You know what I mean? And, and, and he, really took me under his wing and kind of raised me as an artist and showed me song structure. You know what I mean? How he, he took the talent that he saw in me and kind of molded me into what I am today. So, you know, I owe him a lot as far as just guidance and, and artist development. You know what I mean? That's kind of a process that doesn't even really exist anymore. There's no barrier to entry. So, you know, I, I credit, I credit him a lot especially in those early days. How did your writing, how did your writing change? Uh, I mean, what were you, what, what, I guess, what was your kind of, what was your writing process prior to, you know, being a 13, 14 year old? I mean, kid? if I'm being completely honest, like, and I say this to him often, I'm like, I can't believe you even agreed to work with me because in retrospect, I was terrible. You know what I mean? I could barely rap on beat. My bars were this long. You know what I mean? I was running out of breath. Um, I didn't know anything about, writing songs. Uh, so it's funny, you know, I think about, I think about those first studio sessions we had and like I borderline cringe thinking about it, but you know, I give him a lot of credit, um, that, that he, that he saw something and, and he saw potential and he continued to work with me. Um, and I think my, my, as far as writing goes, um, I used to be a very pen to paper guy, um, you know, whether it was writing on the computer or writing on a notepad, used to, you know, write my rhymes and, you know, obsess about how it looked on paper. Um, and I think in, in recent years, I've gotten, especially, I don't know if it's related to how my studio set up. I do a lot of stuff in my literal bedroom. Um, but, you know, the mic's right there. My, my little control board's right there. And I've pretty much stopped the process of writing. Um, mm. Not in the sense that I'm not putting a lot of forethought into what I'm saying, but literally sitting down and writing it on paper. Um, I've come to view using a pen and a pad or writing something in my phone. I mean, I'll still do it on the fly if ideas come to me, 
but I kind of view that process now as a middleman because um, I tend to overthink stuff. So now my writing process is a lot more organic. I kind of just turn the mic on and, you know, I record as the lines come to me. Um, and, and that just gives me the freedom to kind of play around with what I'm saying, hear how it sounds when I play it back and, and not second guess myself. And it just makes the, the, the process so much more organic. And I honestly think it's taking my writing to the next level. So, um, that's, that's, that's the biggest way it's changed. Um, and I think just growing and, and becoming an adult, there's a lot more personal elements to my music and there's a lot more of my experience that I inject into my music. I, I, I've, I've kind of discovered my voice, which I think is the hardest thing a lot of artists have to do. You know, it's, it's how can you translate who you are in real life on a song in a way that's relatable? You know what I mean? So those are the biggest, um, those are the biggest changes for me. How is that, how's that change of writing? How's that, how's that change how you select beats? Or, I mean, or has it, um, or maybe not has it. I've always, I've always kind of picked beats the same way. Um, when I'm listening to beats, uh, I very much put myself in the shoes of the casual listener. Somebody that, you know, if they're driving in their car, they're going to give something 10 seconds to 20 seconds tops. Excuse me. So if, if something doesn't jump out at me almost immediately or give me some kind of feeling or like, evoke some kind of reaction, uh, nine times out of 10, I'm not going to choose it. Mm. I think a process like that, you know, depending on the, the type of songs, obviously something can grow on you, but I tend to, you know, stick to my gut instincts with things like that. Um, and that's just kind of always the way it's been. You know, I, I want, I want something and music in general is supposed to be something that jumps out at you. I want somebody to be driving in their car and the volume's real low and they hear something and, and, and it, it forces them to turn it up. You know what I mean? So it's those type of things that I'm, I'm looking for when I'm selecting beats. Um, I should have asked this in the beginning, but what is your, kind of your goal with this music? I mean, I mean, you know, uh, what is the goal when you're writing lyrics down? I mean, it could be a personal goal or uh, as an artist or, but also as a person. Um, it's hard to say. Um, and, and, and I think, uh, I've become a lot more married to having, um, a regimented system than, than just a goal. Um, you know, I think when people set goals for themselves, you know, whether it's like a five-year plan or a year plan, they say, you know, a year from now, I want to be doing A, B, and C. And it's such a, a hyper-targeted thing that if that doesn't happen, in the time period you're giving yourself, you can feel like you failed. Mm. Whereas um, if you implement a system, which is kind of what the whole ethos behind the Breakfast Bar series, um, I really don't know where it's going to take me, but I know if I just keep my head down and stay focused and keep working hard, it's moving me in the right direction. So, you know, and, and, it, and it has, you know, there was a period where I wasn't really putting out music. I was kind of in this like self-loathing mad rapper phase. And, you know, it was this epiphany that I kind of had where I was like, look, nobody's going to make this happen for me except for myself. Um, so it really changed the way I looked at things. That forced me to just really go into grind mode and 
be relentless with putting out content. Um, and that's been, that's been my, my system for the past year. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on the year anniversary of me starting what I set out to do. And, you know, the strides we've made, you know, as a, as a really small team of people, which is basically me, Kwame, my manager, Greg, and, you know, my booking manager, Sean, um, strides we've made are, are, are crazy such a small you know indie little movement um so you know i attribute a lot of the quote-unquote success to that if i had to say there's a goal in mind i don't know it kind of escapes me there was a period where all i wanted was a record deal mm. let me just get this record deal what do i have to do to, to for for a label to sign me and is that even what I want anymore? You know, does the does the current climate even demand that? Right. You know, so I don't know where this is going to take me. You know what I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to have fun with it and not overthink it because I think when you start to look at it like work and start to get frustrated with things that are beyond your control, um, that's when the the toxicity comes in and you end up, you know, wanting to quit. Um, and I don't ever really want to be in, in, in that place again. You know, if, if this ever gets to a point where it's not fun for me, then you know, I'm done. That's what it's supposed to be, man. It's supposed to be about the music. So my, my goal is to make good music and have people listen to it and enjoy it. Everything else beyond that is you know, out of my control. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to you as um, Bobby J from Rockaway, mm -hmm. but... My understanding is that there was two other names that you had prior to this, uh, Skittles and Beyond, <laughs> and Beyond Belief. How Skittles. Do, how do you go from, what are, uh, and also how do you go from, you know, those three that's, names? That's sort of fake news. I'm sure <laughs> told you that. Uh, Skittles, man. Let's, let's, let's try and not make this a super long-winded response <laughs> because it really is long-winded. Um, but I, I feel like it's important to explain. Um, Again, when I was in high school, you know, I'd be battling in the lunchroom. The only frame of reference for a white kid rapping was Eminem. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the first time I battled somebody and had like really the crowd on my side, people going nuts, like said some punchline. I can't even remember what it was. And this kid, Wozni, who's my good friend to this day, you know, he gets on top of a table and he goes, he's not Eminem, he's Skittles. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like... There was nothing I could do about right, it. Yeah. That name is yours. It sticks to you. It doesn't matter if you hate it. The more you hate it, the more people are going to call you it. So literally, I would walk through the hallways and people would be like, yo, Skittles. And it just was what it was. Oh, yeah. man. And, and I think when I first met Kwame, my, my boy Anthony told him that my rap name was Skittles. You know what I mean? So he's like, yo, I have this friend Skittles. He's dope. You got to work with him. And... Thankfully, Kwame was like, you have to change that shit. <laughs> and I was like, yo, I didn't even pick that name. I, I, I don't know why he told you that's my rap name, but it's not my name. But it's, it's a name that there's kind of nothing you could do about it. Um, and then when we started working together, you know, really sitting down, making records as I got older, you know, throughout high school and, and right when I first got into college, um, he basically... He told me, he was like, yo, everyone calls you Bob, so your rap name should just be Bob. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so strange, but it, it, it works. You, right. know, you should just be Bob. And I was like, you know what? That kind of makes sense. I like that. It's simple. 
You know what I mean? It's my name anyway. Um, and then just being on some hip hop shit, you know, I was like all the dope rappers that I know, they have these acronyms. So, you know, KRS one knowledge reigns supreme over nearly everybody, you know, big daddy Kane, King Asiatic, nobody's equal. So I was like, all right, Bob is going to be B O B and it's going to be beyond ordinary belief. Cause I was like, I don't fit the stereotype right. of like, I don't know, man. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but <laughs> I never in a million years thought there would be a rapper named B.O.B. Oh, that's funny. So yeah. this was before B.O.B. actually came out. And then I get into, you know, it's like 2006, 2007 maybe. And sure enough, there's a rapper named B.O.B. And I think that year when I found out about it and I was, I was super pissed. I was like, I can't believe somebody has this name. He had a number one single that year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can't I can't use B.O.B. Can't be Bob because it's too similar. All right, I'll just take Beyond Belief and short and, and and shorten it. Quote unquote shorten it. So I put out um my first official single with Kwame was in two thousand and eight. We had a, a a video called Don't Touch, and I put it out under that name, Beyond Belief. Um and it was uh it was a weird time. It was a very weird transitional phase, um, not just in hip hop, but just in music in general. Um, every time I, I, I think back on it or anytime he thinks back on it, we always say, you know, we were five minutes early to the party because we were working on a project. We had a single that we thought had real potential, but we had, you know, no record deal or anything like that. And this was like right when YouTube first came out. It was pre-world star hip hop, pre like big hip hop blogs. Obviously, Instagram and, and social media wasn't at all what it is today. And we were like, look, let's just scrape whatever money we can together <clears throat> and make a video and just put it out. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work it like a normal, you know, label pushing a single. And, you know, we put it out. You know, we, we did a dope video, we did a TV run, we did a radio run, we did all the traditional avenues of, of putting out a single. And I mean, given our resources and, and the money we had, it did pretty well. Um, we got added to rotation a couple radio stations, on TV. Um, you know, it was it was definitely getting some 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 buzz locally, um, and it got my name out there. So I don't entirely regret it. But we just had champagne dreams and beer money. The, the 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 resources just weren't available for us to really take it to the level that we wanted to. And you know, fast forward a year and a half, two years later, you know, all the DSLR cameras start coming in. Um, we could have shot the video for a fraction of what we paid yeah. for it. Um, you know, all the internet means of promotion for hip hop videos, you know, were in full blast. Um, just it just got to this point where it was like, damn, we spent all this money. Um, we learned a lot, but I was kind of left with like my tail between my legs. I mean, I, I really, I really went balls to the wall and felt like I failed. Um, and you know, here I am, like a year or two out of college, and I'm still living at my mom's house, like living in the basement. Um, um, in my mind, you know, she's pressuring me to get a job. In my mind, I'm like. Is this, you know, is this a pipe dream? Right. Like, 
should I, is this working? Is this something I should keep doing? You know, you know, the people that are around me that I'm growing up with, they don't understand it. You know, they, they all work regular jobs and don't really understand what I'm trying to do. So there was a lot of negative energy and, and doubt kind of cast over my head. And I just, I, I, I put out a couple more projects, but I, the momentum really started to die. And, you know, that goes back to what I was saying before. I just hit this, this rut where I was in this really dark, self-loathing, mad rapper phase. You know, I saw people around me that I thought I was just as dope as making it. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? You, you get that, you get to this point where you get really jaded and frustrated and it just started to manifest itself in like, you know, I was recording music, but I wasn't putting anything out. And there was definitely a, a, a four to five year period where, you know, I didn't even put anything out. You know, I had kind of not given up. I mean, the music was was always there. But again, I wasn't making myself visible. Um, you know, I think um, it was probably in the last two and a half, three years where I was able to pull myself out of that. And Kwame really started working together on another project and it really started to find the direction I wanted to go in. Um, so that's where Bobby J from Rockaway comes in. Um, you know, Bobby J something, it's not really a, a name that I chose. That's a name that people have been calling me since I'm a little kid. Mm. You know, it's either been Bob, Bobby or Bobby J, you know, around the neighborhood. Um, people have always called me that. So it's not so much a name that I chose as much as it was given to me. Um, and there's several levels to the name. It's, it's, it sounds funny, but some, some are serious. Some are, some are kind of tongue in cheek. Obviously, Bobby J from Rockaway. Rockaway is where I'm from. Um, it's the backdrop to everything I do. It's kind of made me everything I am as an artist. Kind of has the mnemonic device of rhyming, which, you know, sticks in people's heads. Um, and then at the same time, there's kind of a, a what the fuck is that? What kind of name is that element right. to it? Um, and that's intentional. Um, I think if you look around, especially the landscape of rap now, there's a lot of rappers that have weird or like borderline absurd names. Um, but there's a lot of value in that. And I didn't realize that until recently. Like, you know, think of somebody like Ski Mask the Slump God or you know, skinny from the nine. You know what I mean? Like these were names that the first time I heard them, I was like, what is that? Right. But I realized the, the absurdity of it. One made me remember their name, made it stick in my head and then made me go check out their music. I ended up liking their music. You know what I mean? So I think there's value in kind of having the right amount of wrong. Um, plus I'd never really been a fan of like rap names. You know? Right. It's always I never wanted it to to look like trying to be cool or like something that I'm not. So you know I just I just figured look let me let me combine you know something that that everyone's been calling me anyway and also involve my neighborhood in it because I want to shed a light on a place that is underrepresented and misrepresented. I mean as far as not just hip hop but New York City hip hop is concerned. So. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot packed in into what seems like, you know, kind of a funny name at first glance. 
But, um, you know, when I explain it to people, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's something that I've given a lot of thought to. Um, but, you know, people call me Bobby J. You know, it's not something people have to say the whole thing. You know, it's just, it's just a name. You know? I think when people listen to the music. Uh, speaking of some, uh, your track Life, uh, it features samples of, of AZ doing, you know, Life's a Bitch. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Omatic's Life, uh, Nas's Life, to, Life's a Bitch, which had me thinking, obviously, Omatic is like, for me, the album of albums, you know. Uh, I still know it by heart to this day, whatever, whatever. But if you were a fly in the wall of any album, is there an album out there that's like your, it could be Omatic, I mean, you're Omatic, where like, hey, I wish I was a fly in the wall, or, or, I, or, or I did that. Just to see the creative process? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, it would It would probably be either just because I love these and respect these producers so much. Um, it would either be, you know, Beastie Boys License to Ill or Dr. Dre Chronic or Chronic 2001. Mm. Just to, just to see how those albums came together would be, you know, it would just be a learning experience, man, to make such solid bodies of work from top to bottom. Oh, and, and, and just even, you know, especially when you're talking about something like the chronic, like it's just perfect on every level, the way it's produced, the way those beats sound, the mixing, the mastering, you know, the way he made, the way he guided Snoop's delivery and all that stuff. And, and the way he brought all those artists to the table. Um, I, I can't, you know, th- this, that's my knee jerk response. I can't really think of an album other than that, that I, I wouldn't, that, you know, that I would, I would want to be a fly on the wall. Anything, anything Dre related. I'll take Chronic two thousand one too. Any anything that he's had his fingerprints on, and then obviously Rick Rubin, man, because he's he's a producer, and I know he makes beats, but he's he's a producer almost in like the the Phil Spector sense, where he's just kind of the guy that that guides the overall process and gives his input. He's he's worked with such a diverse selection of artists and given a lot of those artists their best albums so i I, if i have to say one album from him i would say license to ill but you know project that he's in the track uh let it breathe uh, you shout out biggie and tupac um you talked about biggie a little earlier but what 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 has i guess what has tupac's influence been on you as an artist tupac um it's hard to say. Um, you know, I think definitely growing up, I had I had New York bias where, you know, Biggie was the guy. But when you leave New York, you see how people literally, like the way people are connected to Tupac um, is, is some, some other shit, man. He's almost like the rap Bob Marley. You know what I mean? Where it's, it's, it's bigger than... It's bigger than just some songs, man. He he reached pe- people on a level that is, you know, I don't think there's there's been any or you know a small select few artists since him that have really had that kind of impact. I mean, music is just immortal. You know, if if, if hip hop is still around in a hundred years, he's one of the artists whose songs are still going to be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just. Um, the emotional 
element that he brought to his music. You know, people related to him so much and, and felt him so much that his music will never, ever, ever go away. So, you know, I definitely look at that and understand that you know, there's intangible elements to certain artists that, that make them superstars, that make them bigger than just being a rapper. You know, somebody, you know, somebody like Pac literally made people fall in love with him mm. on, 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 on a very, you know, basic level. They just loved him. So I, I don't think there's anybody that's been able to match that since him. Uh, the track "You Don't Know Me," uh, which is one of my favorite tracks by you. Oh, uh, thank you. You're maybe reintroducing yourself or introducing yourself to the public. You're talking about Bobby J from from Rockaway. Uh, why, when you were writing this track, why did you feel the need to? Well, I mean, why did you feel the need to write this track? Why did you want to maybe even reintroduce yourself to, you know, your listeners? "You Don't Know Me." "You Don't Know Me" um, is a song that actually came out on a project that I did with. Kwame, um, called What About Bob? It was like my first album at the time. Um, and that's probably one of the standout songs on there. Uh, and I, I think at the time there was just a lot of things going on in my life that I wanted to address um, and be brutally honest about. Um, you know, obviously talk about my brother getting shot. Um, you know, I talk about dealing with the suicide of my father. Um, you know, I talk about my mother being gay, which was something, you know, the song came out in 2009, you know, which was something that was not being discussed at all, especially, you know, in rap music. Things have changed dramatically since then. So, you know, I kind of wanted to draw a line in the sand and just say, like, this is who I am. You know, this is my story. And, you know, give something to people that have maybe, I guess, experienced similar circumstances or maybe been going through something, something that they can relate to. Um, and, and, and it was as simple as that. I mean, I think it was probably the easiest song I wrote for that album. You know, I think Kwame made the beat in like an hour, and, and before the beat was done, the song was written. So um, that's, a, that's definitely a track from that time period. You know, as someone who's overly critical of himself, that's something that I still look back on. You know, that, was a, that was a good record. That's something that still holds up today um but yeah that song will, will always be important to me uh you do something called breakfast bars yeah. uh if you could just talk a little bit about that and kind of are these are sorry are these just freestyles you're doing are these are written tracks so yeah they're all written um breakfast bars is again that's that's that was me saying you know what can i what can i do with the resources that are my immediate disposal to really put myself back out there. Um, and, you know, social media is an incredible tool if you use it properly. It's a free tool, you know what I mean? Um, so for me, I had access to a little camera, some editing equipment. I have a studio in my crib. Basically, at the tail end of recording what is going to be my upcoming album, which is still kind of a work in progress, I said to myself, you know, what can I do to let people know I'm back out there and, and let them know that I'm serious and, and let them know that, that not only is new music coming, but, you know, it's kind of a, a rebranding, uh, a refreshed look um, at me as an artist. And, and also, you know, what can I do to, to help build my organic following? So I just 
really said to myself, every week I'm going to put out content, you know, whether it's a video, whether it's a song, whatever. I'm going to do something every Monday morning, which later became Breakfast Bars. Um, that's just something people can look forward to. And I've been doing that pretty much every Monday since last March. So I'm coming up on a year. Um, it's, it's just done so much for me in terms of building my following, building awareness, um, getting my name out there, um, that I don't really see myself stopping. It's kind of become my calling card. You know? And I see other people, you know, whether they're, you know, taking it in, inadvertently or people see what I'm doing and they get inspired and start doing their own freestyle series. Like, I don't get mad at that. Um, obviously, I didn't invent it. But I know, you know, there's people around me that are, are kind of taking the same approach to what they're doing. And, you know, that makes me proud that people are, are, are inspired by what I'm doing. So that's just something that, you know, I get to give, give the fans and the followers. You know, every Monday you're going to hear me, whether it's me rapping over a beat that I, I grew up listening to from an artist that I love, or it's something original, or it's a video that I'm about to put out, or whatever, you know, um, I'm, I'm giving people consistent quality content. And I think that's just a necessity at this point. You don't really have the luxury to sit around and wait for things to happen. You know, it's, it's just the way thing, things go. You know, people have no attention span. So if something comes out on Monday, they forget about it on Tuesday and you just got to keep pushing, you know? So it's really something designed for, Social media, man, so the, the, the way the culture moves, the way the music moves, you have to stay on top of it. You've done a lot of, obviously, content, um, lyrics, writing. Is there a lyric that you've written that kind of presses yourself to this day that you're like, kind of like a, shit, I'm good? Um, it's hard to say off the top of my head. I don't know. That happens a lot. That sounds like a dickhead, cocky thing to say, but it's like the writing process is almost like it's almost like it's not even you. And that it's it's hard to explain that, but you know, when you start to feel creative energy or you know, you hit that zone where the the lyrics are just coming it's literally like divine intervention. It's it's a physical reaction. It's, it, tell people it's like you could you literally feel the endorphins going through your body. You start to like really get in the zone, and the song or the the rhyme is coming together the way you want it to. Um, and I can't really sometimes sometimes lyrics or a string of four to eight bars will come out, and it's it's just so. It's so immediate and it's so without me even really thinking about it that, again, it's like it's not even me in the room. I'm just kind of like observing the process happening. And again, that sounds like, you know, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or like pat myself on the back or anything. But that's I think if you speak to any creative or any artist, any any musician, whatever, they can attest to the fact that, you know, there's a, a literal physical process that you go through when rapping. So for me to, to single out a particular line, I mean, someone else would have to tell you that. Mm. Um, it's funny. 
um, sometimes the fans or the people listening will, will, will pick up on shit that I didn't even pick up on. Like, I remember I posted this, this freestyle I did on Static Selector uh, on his Shade 45 show, and it, it made the front page of, of, of this subreddit called Hip Hop Heads. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was reading through the comments and somebody pointed out this line, um, says, uh, we ain't cut from the same cloth with different linen, sat in the back of the class I didn't fit in. And the first line was meant to be a play on words, but I didn't realize, realize that I sat in the back of the class, sat in, also tied into the first part. So people were like, yo, that's crazy that he tied that together and, and, I just let it happen. Right. I was like, yeah, man, it was a stroke of genius yeah. when I wrote that line. But it's like, you know, it's not even something right. I even thought about. Interesting. You know, yeah. so it's it's funny to to see, you know, um, a third party or some some other perspective come in and and see what their spin is on, on lyrics. You know? Never ceases to amaze me what people come up with. Sometimes you think you're saying one thing and then people will get it and it'll be blatantly obvious. And people misinterpret it or interpret it the wrong way. So, it's, it's crazy. That's, uh, of course, how do people continue to follow what you're doing? Um, it's pretty much Bobby J from Rockaway on everything. Um, Instagram, at Bobby J from Rockaway. Um, Twitter is at Bobby J Rockaway. Uh, my official website is Bobby J from Rockaway.com. Uh, YouTube.com slash Bobby J. Um, SoundCloud, Audio Mac, Bobby J from Rockaway. Uh, and you can find me on all streaming. So, however, however you listen to music, I'm on there. You know, if you like what you hear, follow me on social media. I try to interact with everybody that takes the time to listen. Or I appreciate everybody who seeks me out. And- He's Bobby J from Rockaway. Uh, thank you so much, man, for being in the library with Tim Ryan. Oh, man, thank you. It was a pleasure. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.